Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Today, my guest is Suzanne Seifert-Groves, author of We Need to Talk, Communicating Through Difficult Situations in Four Easy Steps. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Over the course of her 35-year career as a professional communications strategist, Suzanne Groves has managed and led every aspect of corporate communications, having served in leadership roles with several large organizations spanning multiple industries. In 2020, she was named a top woman in communications in the visionary category by Reagan Communications slash PR Daily in the inaugural year of the award. In 2014, she was one of 24 women recognized as a great woman of Texas by the Fort Worth Business Press. Her work has been recognized for marketing and communications excellence with more than 350 regional, national, and international awards. Suzanne earned her B.A. in English from the University of Texas at Austin, Hook'em Horns, and her M.A. in History from the University of Texas at Arlington. She and her husband reside in Arlington, Texas, with their two unwieldy German Shepherd dogs and one very bossy cat. You can learn more about Suzanne and her work at SuzanneGroves.com. Well, hi, Suzanne. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. I'm a little intimidated too, communication expert and all, but you know, <laughs> I guess to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your writing background? Sure. So I have worked in corporate communications and executive leadership for 35 years. I've worked as a writer even longer than that, starting in my college days. The written word and the spoken word are incredibly important to me. I was raised by a federal litigator who went on to be a federal judge. And boy, Hmm. uh, I learned quickly that words matter and the order of words matters even more. I've been blessed in that over the course of my career, I've never had the same day twice. And I've also been blessed to be in situations where I can teach others how to communicate effectively in a way that their audiences can actually internalize the message instead of running for the hills in fear. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your book. What is We Need to Talk About? It is based on a four-step methodology that I developed back in 2010 when I was part of a leadership team working for a travel technology company. We were asked to present a week-long program to high potential leaders at our development center in Krakow because we needed them to acquire the skills that they needed to rise in the ranks so that we could bring our American executives home. Mm. And I was asked to develop and present a course on effective leadership communications. And so I had never codified this four-step methodology that I just intuitively knew how to do from the beginning of my career. This gave me the opportunity to do so. And in teaching this methodology to these Polish software developers who were immediately cynical and then over the course of the program and interactive exercises realized, wow, this really does work. We wish that we would have had this information, this methodology, this playbook earlier in our career. 
And I've since gone on to teach at varying organizations, all levels from leadership to rank and file employees. And I found it to be equally useful in personal situations. So I compiled all of that experience into this relatively brief book called We Need to Talk, Communicating Through Difficult Situations in Four Easy Steps. Wow. Yeah. What actually inspired you to sit down and write this book? Because you you said you developed the concept in 2010. So now what actually made you sit down recently and write this book? That's a wonderful question. And I guess what I've seen in recent years with just the proliferation of information at our fingertips on, on a daily basis, second by second, we've got more information than at any other time in human history. We're in a trust desert where People no longer know who to believe, what to believe. Is it opinion? Is it fact? And I think this really befuddles leaders and and people in general, knowing how to communicate in a way that they can be heard and understood in a manner that's mutually beneficial because we've become afraid of triggering somebody or offending somebody. And so what happens, and I've seen it at all levels, uh, organizationally, Mm. politically, socially, people either don't communicate or they just lead with information. They start in the middle, and that's only half of the equation. I felt that this was the time. I've not seen any other methodology or book out there quite like mine, because it goes to the heart of how the recipient processes the information that's being conveyed versus the speaker's need to just say something and get it out there. And so that was one of the reasons for writing the book And it's funny, my husband and I watch shows and anytime somebody starts conversation with, we need to talk or (laughs) I need to be really honest with you about something, I say, no, 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 no. It's cringeworthy because I immediately go into fear mode of what is about to happen that is going to possibly threaten me and my status quo. And putting all of this together, it just occurred to me that this is a tool that can be so useful There's so many people, whether you are a parent who is facing a health scare and you have to find a way to communicate that to your children, or you're a spouse who needs to convey that we need to tighten the the purse strings a little bit because there might be some professional changes down the road, or you're a leader that has to communicate, we're about to turn left on our organizational strategy and here's why. We all have a need to deliver hard messages at different times. And we need to be able to do it in a way that we foster greater intimacy and trust versus alienating the person or the people with whom we're communicating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that it is for everyone, not just business, not just personal. And I think that's amazing that you've developed a concept that works in all arenas. One thing I actually did include in the book, it came to me as I was writing it, was self-talk is every bit as important as how we communicate with others. And so I've got a chapter in the book called Physician Heal Thyself, which is designed for the reader to use the same four-step methodology on their own thinking. If presented with a piece of information that might immediately trigger a reaction, to use the same four-step methodology to work through it in a way that they can stay calm and centered and figure out how to process this information in a way that is not harmful to them. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing because self-talk is one of the most important pieces of talking that <laughs> that can happen because, I mean, you can make or break your day based on your, your own self-talk. Exactly. I, yeah. And I don't think that's included in any other kind of book like We Need to Talk. Not that I've seen. Now, I did not do an exhaustive inventory of all the books out there, lest I get intimidated and talk myself out of it. Again, self-talk. Um, <laughs> but I've not seen it. And so... Again, it is simple. It is four basic steps, but it's not intuitive. And I think that's the magic here Mm. is once people read it, they say, why didn't I think of that? Or, wow, I wish I would have known this so much earlier in my life and in my career. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of difficulties that people have either, you know, being afraid of offending someone or not knowing how to communicate. What is the biggest barrier to effective communication? I think there are several. One Hmm. of the things that I've seen is a lot of the time people overestimate their, I call it intimacy equity. And that is, for example, the longer a person works for you, the more you believe that you've got equity in the relationship, of course, they're going to trust you. Of course, they're going to believe that you're coming at them with the best of intentions. And that could lead to sloppy communication where you just kind of blurt something out or you start in the middle or you just convey what needs to be done without really thinking through how they're going to process that in a way that isn't threatening. I think that's one. I think number two, people just, they have either a command and control because I say so approach to communication Mm. where conveying the information and what needs to be done is the start and the finish or they don't know what to say and they just rip off the bandaid and blurt something out. You know, listen, you're being reassigned to another division. I need you to pack up your office in the next 30 minutes. And that is the information, but that is not information conveyed in a way that's going to be anything other than threatening and frightening to the recipient. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of, oh, you know, it's kind of a, a method used in, in therapy. Okay, this is what he said. What did you hear? Right, uh, right. I've seen this especially true with leaders. No matter what organization I've, I've been a part of, volunteer and otherwise, that leaders assume that they've ascended to their positions in large part because of their communication skills. And in most cases, as I've seen it, they have ascended to their positions of authority despite their communication skills. Hmm. We learn to talk, you know, we learn to put words together and intelligent people do it well, but that doesn't mean they're doing it in an intentional way designed with the listener or the reader in mind. The cool thing about this methodology is it applies not just to conversations, but it can be used in written form as well. And I have to keep reiterating information and communication are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it seems like our communication skills have gotten worse with the onset of social media. And like you said earlier, the onslaught of information that we have available to us daily. How does social media is a real problem for a lot of people? um, Because you can hide behind your, you know, profile picture or whatever, and and just kind of people are ruder. And I don't know, what's your take on communicating through social media? I think that social media has caused problems, certainly with regard to trust and blurring the lines of fact versus opinion. But the bigger thing that I see, and you see it via text, you see it via Twitter, is just truncated messages, abbreviated messages where you get 
only part of the story, but you don't get all the information you need to make informed decisions or to take informed action. And it's become sloppy. The way people communicate is sloppy. It's insensitive to your point in many cases, and it's not designed to build trust. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what is most critical in leadership and in life. We can communicate our way to trust, but once that trust is broken, it becomes very difficult to earn it back. And as I said earlier, we're in a trust desert right now where we don't know up from down, left from right. And I think social media plays a large part in that. Mm-hmm. It's good in some ways and, and very damaging in others. And, and I think communication wise, it's very damaging. I've seen it from an organizational level where in my most recent position with a college system, we had a very active social media team and the social media team was very responsive to feedback that we got anytime we had to communicate something that our constituents didn't like. And I mean, this is kind of going off on a tangent, but we were responsive. We did not take down negative messages because we wanted to be sure that we were maintaining that trust with the people that were lashing out. But what it did do was it made executive leadership very, very gun shy about communicating anything lest we get negative feedback. So while we were out there trying to forge closer trusting relationships with our constituents, even when they were lambasting us for a decision that had been made, leadership wanted to put their head in the sand and say, if this is the kind of response we're going to get, then we're just not going to communicate at all. And that became very problematic for that organization, but it's not unique to that organization. I see it happen all the time where we'd rather not incur negative feedback, so we're just going to go silent. And they do it with their people as well. And when that happens, you see a loss in productivity. You see employee turnover or people that are asleep at the wheel. They haven't quit, but they've checked out because they no longer trust leadership. And all of those are the death knell for any organization, any institution, really any entity. Mm -hmm. You don't want your people shutting out or shutting down. Yeah. So what is the key then to effective communication? Well, I I will shamelessly borrow Stephen Covey's famous quote and (laughs) seven tips for highly effective leaders. Always begin with the end in mind. Most people, when they're wanting to deliver a hard message, their focus is on, I just need to say this. I need to either impart bad news or I need to course correct or I need to give a critique, any number of things. And they're more focused on what they're going to say versus how the other person or the people are going to receive it. And the key to me, as I outlined in the book, is all about the intention. You need to know if you're wanting somebody to change behavior, if you want them to look at something differently, if you want them to have a different perspective, but you can't forget the three-dimensionality of all human beings, whether at work, at home, in church, wherever, we all have an emotional response to information. And most leaders, most people don't communicate hard messages with the thought of how the other person, what they're gonna feel about it and how do we make that easier for them? Mm. So that is critical to the four-step methodology is you definitely want to outline what people need to know about something or what you understand 
that they know or have heard about something. And next you go into additional facts that might clarify the situation, but you can't forget the component of conveying empathy of, I understand this might feel frightening. This might feel daunting. This might be exciting. Any number of things. That emotional component has to be critical. Acknowledging how the person may or may not feel has to be part of the message before you get into the action of, here's what we're going to do. Here's what needs to happen. Here are the deadlines. And a lot of people go to the, here's the situation. Here's what I need you to do. But there's that magic in the middle that they miss. Yeah, I I get that. It's like what you were saying when you approach someone with, we need to talk. It definitely puts up one's defenses. And then at that point, a lot of people will get defensive and shut down and, and may not even listen and get that critical piece. Exactly right. Exactly right. Or again, I, I need to be really honest with you about something. Most of the time, 99% of the time, that is not going to be a good conversation. <laughs> or, you know, can you come to my office for a minute? Again, these are you know, somewhat innocuous statements, except that they're not, because what happens is they throw people into what's called amygdala hijack. The amygdala is the part of the brain. It's kind of like air traffic control. It's a radar constantly on the lookout for perceived threats. It's part of our dinosaur or snake brain where we go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, Mm. none of which is an ideal situation for actually being able to process information through the other parts of the brain, the cerebral cortex, et cetera. And so again, that's what this methodology is designed to help avert is that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, which is not good for a relationship. It's not good for a family. It's not good for an organization. It's not good for anybody. Right. Yeah. I see a bunch of people walking around on their tiptoes, you know? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you recommend one read your book to get the most out of it? Like, do you lay out a do this, this, and this, read it front to back, or are there some exercises to work through? How do you recommend best approaching your book, We Need to Talk? Well, the good news is it's a fairly short read, even for the slower readers, my husband being one of them. I think he read it in 45 minutes the first time. Wow. That was a little bit longer than many people take to read it. I do recommend reading it once through. I, I start the book actually setting the context before I start getting into the methodology itself. Because I think if people understand the whys and wherefores of this methodology and why it's so important, then they can approach each subsequent chapter knowing that the methodology is building. So the first few chapters are, again, setting context. Then each chapter goes through a singular component of the methodology. And I have four scenarios, one business, one spouses, one parent and child, and one individual and neighbor. So it kind of spans the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And in each subsequent chapter, I address the methodology. And then I start with the narrative and I build on it. So by the time you've gotten through all four steps, you've seen how the entire communication would look. And then next I have a summary of that where it's kind of a cheat sheet, if you will. And then I lay out different scenarios where this could be applied, the same methodology, and then the the chapter on using the same methodology for self-talk. And then finally, there are worksheets where people can either individually or in groups practice. Mm -hmm. And that's the ideal use of this, whether it's within families 
or within your teams at work to take some time to understand, to teach the methodology, and then to practice it so that it becomes muscle memory. I mean, even I sometimes, when faced with having to have a difficult conversation with my husband or my grandchildren, or even friends for that matter, I have to really remember to not be a hypocrite and use my own methodology and it always works. <laughs> so, but I don't think that it's a one read and you got it kind of thing. I do think it requires practice. I wouldn't say that people need to carry this around, you know, all the time with them, but they could even tear out the cheat sheet and just have that at the ready in the event that something comes up at work where they do need to have that hard conversation with a staff member or a team member or even their supervisor. Mm -hmm. We can all use a refresher on those types of things too, because when it's fresh, you know, and we're actively using the methodology, it's all good, but you know, a little time passes and then, you know, uh, you know, you might start to slack a little bit and books like this are always good to have on your shelf to be able to refer to when needed. Well, I think so too. I've been to so many conferences where I've been in breakout sessions and just had this epiphany moment of that is the most genius piece of information or advice or process that I've ever heard in my entire life. And I'm going to use it. And then inevitably I get back to real life <laughs> and, and I, I may remember a component, for example, the always begin with the end in mind part of that training, but I don't necessarily remember the rest because I'm not using it. This is designed to be used. I outlined this in my book, but I was teaching this a couple of years ago to a group of academic leaders, and I offered up the floor for questions or for people, throw any scenario you can at me, just give me anything, and I'll show you how this works. And of course, they're academics, so um, <laughs> they're, they're very, very, very smart people. And so I go through, it, it was a number of different scenarios, and then one woman young woman raised her hand and I know she thought she was going to break me. She said, I've got a five-year-old that every time I'm not looking, she is sneaking into the freezer and eating as much ice cream as she can. How's your methodology going to work on that one? <laughs> and I had to laugh. And then I immediately went into, here's how you would have that conversation using this four-step methodology, and you could see her just slump. Like, wow, it's that easy. I think I may have gotten a round of applause for that one. But <laughs> she said, I'm going to use that on my five-year-old. And it was just wonderful because I know that she will. And the more you use this methodology in those kind of conversations, the more natural it becomes. Yeah. Oh, I need to get this book for my daughter-in-law who has a very independent three-year-old. So <laughs> that's another thing is the methodology also is grounded in respect for the other person or the audience. And even with our youngest children who deserve to be communicated with in a respectful way manner. Mm -hmm. Even if they're holy terrors, we need to be respectful in how we ask for changed behavior or a course correction of some kind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, start them young. And that's beneficial for their growth too. I would love in a perfect world to see parents teaching their own children this methodology so that they are better communicators and they don't shy away from having to have those tough conversations, but instead feel empowered to be able to speak their truth, to speak authentically, but in a way that their listener 
can understand, appreciate, and internalize. Mm -hmm. Now, you said you've been teaching this methodology for a while. Are you currently teaching it? Do you have uh, courses available for readers maybe wanting to take it a step further? I am actually working currently on an opportunity or opportunities to both participate as a speaker or keynote or breakout session leader at various conferences. I'm looking at an opportunity to create online classes. I'm a little way away from that, but I would certainly encourage readers to reach out to me via my email address or through my author site once they've read it, if they've got questions on how to apply it, because reading it isn't the same as reading it and then discussing it. I would, though, like to deliver some classes online going forward. I've just, like I said, I'm not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic because I love the availability of online classes. And I don't know, it just kind of opens up a whole new world to to people that can attend a seminar or can attend a conference or, you know, so, and I think your subject matter is, I mean, everyone needs it. So I think you would do well with that. Yeah. Yeah. They really do. There are certain industry verticals that I think need it a lot. Healthcare, Mm. because they're in the business of having to deliver tough information all of the time. Elected officials absolutely (laughs) need this. Everybody needs it, but I'm not going to say that this is the next best thing since Betty White, but I do think it will make a difference. I think that if we can learn to communicate more effectively in a manner that builds trust, it could go a long way to heal some of the ills in in society right now. Mm -hmm. So what kind of feedback have you received on your book? We need to talk. It's been tremendous so far. I've been gratified by those who have read it and not posted reviews, but just communicated with me directly. And those who have, Unequivocally, the feedback has been, I wish that I'd had this so much earlier in my life and in my career, because we're always going to have to have a hard conversation or deliver hard news. And overwhelmingly, the feedback has been, this makes it so easy. I mean, that's the best kind of feedback you could ask for, really. (laughs) It, It really is. And I've even had, you know, a few of my friends who have read it perhaps out of obligation or just because they love me, but they've called at varying times saying, okay, I need to run through this scenario with you using your methodology. Can we practice for a minute? And that is so gratifying to me because A, it means they appreciate it, but that they actually trust the process. And then the feedback I get on the back end is that one's so much better than I expected. And one couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Hearing the results of your efforts. Yeah. Yeah. Now your book just came out. Has it been a month yet? It's been a month. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Being that your book just came out a month ago, I hate to ask, but what's next for you? Do you have plans for another book? I have written a memoir that is currently being reviewed and will be under contract in the next couple of weeks. It's a departure from this. I've got an idea for a fun novel underway. So I write across all genres, but I also, I'm thinking about how to apply the same methodology when you are the recipient of hard information so that, again, that's part of self-talk, but also how to use the same methodology to respond versus deliver. And I'm still working through that because a, a lawyer friend of mine asked me that same question of, Uh, How do you use this methodology if somebody immediately interrupts you and disagrees with you or throws you off course? 
And so I'm giving some thought to how to expand this when you're on the other side of the equation. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. That that's the full package right there. Exactly. Because if somebody, you know, comes at you with something that feels harsh, how do you use the same four-step methodology to say, okay, you know, here's what I understand that you're saying. Here's some additional pieces of information you may not have known before going on the attack. You know, here's how I feel about how this conversation is going and can we reset or can we reschedule or can we approach the subject differently? Mm -hmm. And and I think that that could be quite useful. But again, I would want to build out different scenarios because we've all been in that situation where we feel attacked, but we don't want to go on the counteroffensive. It's not productive. So I'm noodling on that. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, uh, I think that would be amazing. Just as important as the delivery, because I feel like people react instead of respond. That's just natural instinct, you know, part of that fight or flight mode. Well, and one of the things that I've written about in my it's key subject in my memoir that is starting to get serious attention is malignant narcissism. And for anybody who's been on the other side of a malignant narcissist and gaslighting and that type of thing, uh, again, you get thrown into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, mostly fawn. I'll do anything I can to, to get your approval. Mm-hmm. How could you use this same methodology when being gaslighted by a narcissist or accused of something or whatever? How to use it to set boundaries, healthy boundaries for yourself while also communicating you're incorrect, you're operating from a point of misinformation. This is very hurtful to our relationship. So here's how we're going to communicate differently going forward or we're not going to communicate at all. Mm, Wow. Well, so more good things to come. It sounds like I can't wait for that second book. (laughs) It may be called You Need to Listen. (laughs) I don't know. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Working title. Yeah. (laughs) Working title. That's for sure. We need to talk and you need to listen. (laughs) Well, Suzanne, did you have anything else you wanted to add today? Nothing other than I'm so pleased to have this opportunity to talk with you. And I really... I did not write this book thinking that I was going to become a New York Times bestseller or a literary superstar. I wrote it from the heart because I so believe how important it is for us to have intentional, effective communication that fosters trust instead of divides relationships. And so I hope that folks who read this share it, use it, and benefit from it. That is my heart's desire. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on the show today and for sharing a little bit about yourself and your work. Uh, It's been a pleasure to, to know more about you. Well, thank you so much. I will look forward to speaking with you on the next book. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Suzanne Seifert Groves, author of We Need to Talk, communicating through difficult situations in four easy steps. You can learn more about Suzanne and her work at SuzanneGroves.com. And be sure and check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com. <laughs>